Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspired Churches podcast. We're a church in Union City that loves Jesus. Our hope is that you'd be inspired to grow in God's Word as reflected in loving Christ more and more every day. So wherever you are, be a light. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspiredchurches.com. Uh, I want to invite you. I want to invite the church. Uh, you have seven days to consider this invitation. So uh, you have a week to kind of pray through this. But I want to invite you. We actually did this in January. And uh, we're going to do this. Oh, it got nice and dark. <laughs> I like the mood. Uh, it's starting October 3rd. Uh, we are going to walk through rhythms of life together as a church. If you'll notice, part of our mission statement that we've been repeating over and over as of recently is that we're not only being transformed by the gospel, but we're living, we're walking in rhythms of life together. And so, you know, one thing that the pandemic might have revealed is that we're very codependent on Sunday morning service. And that if that got taken away, for, for some of us, our spirituality got taken away. Our connection with Christ got taken away. But rhythms of life ensure that we are disciples of Christ Monday through Saturday. And so we want you to take the next few days just to pray and consider walking in rhythms together. And here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to do 31 days. We're going to read through the Psalms together as a church. So if you remember last year, we read Psalm from Psalm 1 to 30. Now we're going to start at 31 and we'll go to 61. So we're going to read scripture daily. We're going to pray daily, and then we're going to fast weekly. Every Wednesday throughout October from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., we are going to fast as a church. We're also going to open up our Zoom channel, so at 6 a.m., that you can come in, whether you're at work or before work, and join us for 45 minutes of praying before that day starts off. We're going to be attending church. We're going to be making the gathering of the body on Sundays a priority together as a church. I think what I'm probably most excited about, one thing that the pandemic robbed us of, and we still haven't got back to, and many of you know this, is small groups. Yeah. And we're missing that rhythm a little bit. And, and, and we're slowly moving and, and really trying to unfold something in January that we believe is really going to get us back to those places. But what we want to do during these, this rhythm of life uh, journey, we want to invite you to do it. Don't do it alone, but do it together. And so we want to add the rhythm of community and hospitality. Would you consider every Wednesday breaking your fast with a group of folks? And during that breaking of your fast, just talking about what God is doing during this month. Uh, We want you to consider doing that. I know my wife and I have been having conversations. What does that look like for us? And and maybe you can't do the Wednesday. I think it's special breaking the fast. But if you can't, you know, we're not a legalistic church. Uh, If you can't do that, then then maybe you consider another day. Maybe once a week gathering in a community and finding others that are doing this together and meeting just to honor and glorify God and see what God is doing inside of you and just uh, together. So would you consider that as well? Now, you can sign up. There's a QR code here for you on the screen. What you do is you kind of hit that QR code and then we'll send you an email with details and then once you get the details you can read through it and pray and decide if you want to take this journey Um, and what's really cool about this is when you sign up your name will be instantly recorded and the staff and the pastors are going to regularly pray for you throughout this entire process that God would do a deep work beyond Sunday morning that we would be disciples of Jesus every day of the week and and through rhythms of life that we would begin to see 
greater transformation in us and around us. Amen. And so we want to invite you to take that consideration. Uh, we have it for you here on the screen, but also there's the resource center right outside. Um, you can go out there. We have, we'll have the QR code available for you as well. And, you know, another thing just to throw out there, maybe you even start a book club during this time. I mean, we're waiting for small groups to come back, but what does it look like to even purchase the resource that we have, the art of neighboring, and, and, and maybe gather with a few folks and read that together as well? Totally up to you. Uh, but we will definitely send you our basic rhythms, and then you can expand it and create it into something that looks good for you. Uh, but nonetheless, we want to do this together for 31 days during October, and we're inviting the entire church uh, to take this journey with us. Now, because we're not a cult, I'm not going to force you to do it. But if you're a member of this church, I want to inspire you very forcefully. <laughs> Just kidding. I want to inspire you to do this, you know, to follow Jesus in this way. This is who we want to become as a church. And uh, it's cool to have a mission statement, but if your church looks nothing like your statement, then what are you doing? And so, uh, and so we want to slowly grow into that um, as we move forward. So with that being said, would you consider that journey with us? Amen? Amen. 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 Three weeks ago, we started a new sermon series that we have entitled Origins. And really the crux of this sermon series comes from a quote that an Australian sociologist named John Carl made. Um, actually, it's John Carroll, excuse me. And uh, he's actually not a believer, he's an atheist, but he made this comment. He said this, the church in the West is in trouble because it has forgotten its story. And Pastor Timothy Keller kind of puts it, if you were to put the entire Bible into four chapters, that's a lot. What is the story of scripture? Well, chapter one is creation. And it answers the question, where did we come from? Chapter two is fall. And it answers the question, what went wrong? Chapter three is redemption. What did God do to make what was wrong right again? And then, of course, chapter four is restoration, when God will make all things new and we'll be restored back to not just eternity, but we restore back to a world with no sin, no tears, no pain, no sickness. That's the beautiful story of scripture. But we live in the Bay Area amongst a world that has different stories. And some of us in this room, we're even intimidated to talk about the story but we have a beautiful story. We have a beautiful song. We have a greater story that this world needs to hear. And I don't know about you, but it's been six years. And I feel like Inspire Church has been insulated. You know, and when I look at our two services, you know, there's a tension there. and We fill it. But I also see the empty seats. And I just wonder, like, are we comfortable? Are we comfortable? Are we missional? Are we outward thinking? I'm still praying, and I know there's, I'm praying. God may change things up, and I'm, but, but I, I think the real thing for us is six years, it's been about us. And I'm just trying to figure out what does it look like for us to be about? What do I need to do? What is the structures and the systems of this church so we can get outside, so we can know the story and tell the story? And so for the next nine months, you're gonna hear us championing this. And this is why we're starting in the beginning. We're starting at the origins of it all, and Pastor Roger did an incredible job last week talking about creation. In week one, I did an incredible job. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, talking about God. Just felt right to put that there. So we moved from God, creation. This morning, we're going to talk about you, mankind, humanity, 
and we're going to continue to learn that our story is beautiful. You know, when I, when I have a conversation with folks who maybe aren't believers, I tell them this, like, my job isn't to convert you. I just want you to know that my story is beautiful and it's logical. And then I'll let the Holy Spirit do what he may, but you have a logical and beautiful story, amen? So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Genesis 1, right in the beginning, first book, first chapter. That's where we've been for the last two weeks, and that's where we'll, we'll continue to be today, and then we'll jump into Genesis 2 next week. Genesis 1. And we're going to read verses 24 through 31. But before we do that, I, I, want, to, I want to pose some questions to you and, and kind of get you to think a little bit. But what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human? You know, how you answer this question will actually determine a basis for how you answer other critical questions. How you answer what it means to be human will also determine how you answer, who am I? Why am I here? Where did I come from? Where am I going? And what am I worth? Maybe you're sitting in here today and you feel purposeless, aimless. Maybe you derive your value from the accumulation of stuff and you feel like you're poor and so you're not valuable. You don't have anything to show for. I'm, I don't know about you, some of us late bloomers, we didn't graduate college or it took a long time for us and all of our friends went off and graduated and you kind of have this, what am I doing with my life? What is my purpose? Everyone seems to be doing so well. You know, that's a lie on Instagram, right? But nonetheless, what does it mean to be human? But equally important to how you answer that question is where you go to answer that question. Where do you derive your truth about what it means to be human? Where are you getting those answers? Some people look to their families to find out who they are. Others look to their culture or their neighborhoods for identity. I mean, some of us, we have our identities tattooed, our neighborhoods tattooed because it, it, it tells us something about who we are. And some of us go further back than that. We go to 23andMe or Ancestry.com, right? And we go there to find value, to find significance. If I can go back far enough, if I can see my ancestors and if I can see like how dignified they were, how worthy they were, how great they were, just where I can find value and meaning. But as followers of Jesus, if you're in this room and you're a follower of Jesus, you go back even further than that. We go back all the way to the origins of it all. All the way back to Genesis 1, where we as Christians derive our identity, our value, and our purpose from a transcendent creator who created us all. If you're a believer, this is where we find out what it means to be human. And if you're in this room and you're not a believer, welcome. And you are always welcome to come in here and to listen to see how we think. How do these crazy people think? And you'll find out we're not as crazy as you think we are. Or that we're all crazy. <laughs> Amen. And so with that being said, Genesis 1, 24 through 31. Let's dive in the text. And God said, 
let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And the livestock according to their kinds. And everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them and God blessed them and God said to them listen this is the first time that God speaks to humanity be fruitful. Isn't that beautiful? And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. There's a joke I want to make right there. It says food. Okay. And it was so. Some of you will get it later. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was what? Very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Now, here's my premise this morning. According to the scripture, here it is. To be human is to be made in the image of God. Hmm. What are the implications of that truth? That's what I want to pull out this morning. To be human is to be made in the image of God. And to be made in God's image is to be made with, ready, human significance human dignity and human purpose. Y'all see that? If I am made in the image of God and I've been made with human significance, dignity, and purpose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you do a work in this room? Holy Spirit, would you illuminate the text so that everyone in this room, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of past experiences, everyone in this room, regardless of age, gender, that everyone in this room would, would walk out of here receiving a truth from your word. Young, old, may you get the glory in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If mankind has been made in the image of God, then we, are, we have been given significance. That's the question of am I important? Right? Does, does my life matter? Now, before we dive into the context of the story, 
I want to first observe the composition of the story. There's a difference. The, the content of the story is kind of the details. But before we dive in the details, I want to take a step back and look at just how it's composed. The literary form of the story. I want you to know Genesis 1 is poetry. It's a song. There's beauty. And before we dive into the details of the beauty, let us admire in awe and wonder the composition, the art of Genesis 1. It's a Hebraic masterpiece. If you're a creative in this room, this should stir you up with joy. Notice the poetic pattern throughout the creation story. Let me show you. Scattered, laced throughout the creation story, you will see this pattern. And God said, and it was so. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, and it was so. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, and it was so. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And he continues to repeat that pattern over and over and over again. With every creative act, every spoken word to every corresponding day, these three phrases are repeated rhythmically like verses to a song until suddenly the pattern breaks and verse turns to chorus on the sixth day. So there's this rhythmic pattern that sets you up. Okay, I know, it's coming, it's coming. And then all of a sudden, there's a halt to the pattern. The verse stops and we enter into a chorus. Now there's two elements that reveal the genius of this literary structure. And I, again, I just want us to focus on that. The first, and, and, and I personally, as I was kind of researching and studying, Pastor David Lomas, Reality Church San Francisco, he had made a comment that really stuck with me. And he calls this the drum roll of creation. Y'all know the drum roll? That's a little better than 9 a.m. <laughs> what is a drum roll for? It's to get your attention, but not just to get your attention, but to get you to wonder what is going to happen next. What is the grand reveal that is getting ready to take place? And so in this text, what is the cosmic drum roll? The cosmic drum roll happens when we see the break from the norm and when God singular goes to God plural. Now for five days, the singular form of the word God is being used. But on the sixth day, there's a break in the norm. And we see the text say, <laughs> he created, he said, let us make man in our image. And as you're reading the text and the poet is writing and, and, and you're being pulled into the verse, there's a drum, well, wait a minute, something is different. Something has shifted. Something has changed. And God says, let us make man in our image. And the cosmic drum roll begins to roll. But that's not all that happens. The reveal comes through a form of poetry called poetic parallelism. 
What is poetic parallelism? You know, poems we are used to tend to rhyme words, but poetic parallelism is intended to rhyme ideas. And so the drum roll begins to roll and the grand reveal is made in a form of a poetic parallelism when the scripture says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You see that? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, you might be thinking, oh, that's great. That's really neat. <laughs> What's the point, <laughs> right? Like, what does the composition of the story, you know, if I'm not a poet, <laughs> what does the composition of this story have to do with me? What does it have to reveal about humanity? I want you to think about this. In a world of rapid and I mean rapid technological advancement. And scientific discovery, the temptation to believe in the insignificance of man has never been greater. Don't you feel left behind? Did you know King David pondered this? And he didn't have any of our technology. You know, King David said, as Pastor Roger opened, when I consider your heavens, and he didn't have a telescope. He didn't have the Hubble. He said, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. Watch what he asks. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. And then Eugene Peterson kind of in the message paraphrased it. And I love how he says, he says this. I look up at the macro sky. Then I look at my micro self. And I wonder, why do you even bother with us? Why do you even take a second look our way? But if you're a follower of Jesus and you believe in this text, you have a beautiful story. The text answers the question. It's in the creation story that we learn that man is not just a speck in the ever-expanding universe, but that we are made in the image of God. And as image bearers, we are the crown jewel of his creation, the grand reveal of his cosmic drum. We are the chorus to God's creative song, the crescendo to his creative music. We are the climax of God's creation story. How do we know that? It's in the poetry. Bay Area Christians can be a little ashamed of our story. God's image makes us significant. We're not just a speck lost in an ever-expanding universe. We're God's image bearers. That's your story. And you know what else the image of God gives us? It gives us human dignity. Yeah. 
value, worth. Have you ever asked, is my life of any value? Maybe someone in here today, like, what? Am I even worth it? Let me show you. On day six, did you notice as I was reading, five times the animal kingdom is said to be made according to their kind? Do you notice that? Living creatures according to their kind, livestock according to their kind, creeping things and beasts of the fields according to their kind. The point of this repetition is to draw our attention toward a key distinction. If the animal kingdom was made according to its kind, then what kind were you made according to? Listen, naturalists, anthropologists, they will tell you that humans are nothing more than intelligent animals. That's their story. And like all animals, humans begin in the dust and they'll die in the dust. It's pretty depressing. But the Christian has a different story. Our story is beautiful. Because in our story, our value is ascribed to us by an infinite, transcendent creator who is infinitely valuable. Yes, some of you are thinking it, and I'm glad you are. If you move a little further in Genesis, you will realize that we are composed of the dust of the earth. But our story does not get stuck in the mud. Because in Genesis 2, 7, it also says that we are a product of a God who stooped low to pick up the dust and who brought that dust up. And the scripture tells us that he breathed the breath of life into our nostrils so that our story is not dirt, but it's dirt and heaven heaven and earth, divine breath and earth. Now, some of you want to believe a story that relegates you to mud. That's your choice. But how do you derive dignity from that? Christianity teaches that we are made up of both earthen dirt and divine breath so that our value is not derived from the ground but ascribed, assigned by God. And you know what this does? It ministers to two different types of folks. To the people who think that we are gods, that we're divine, it says, no, only God is intrinsically valuable. Our value is not intrinsic, it's extrinsic. It was given to us, assigned to by God. And so you are not a God, right? So it humbles the arrogant, but it exalts the humble. And it tells them that you are not just dirt. You are not just mud, but you are the divine breath, the creator. Only the Christian story can humble the arrogant 
and exalt the humble. Only the Christian story can say you were created by God and you bear his image. Only the Christian story can say that because you were made in his image, you reflect his infinite dignity and worth. And only the Christian story has a, man, this is so important. I got to make sure I slow down. At 9 a.m., I felt like I want to get a redo. So 11 a.m. is it. Poor 9 a.m., don't tell them. Here it is. Because you were made in God's image and because of that, you reflect his infinite dignity and worth. Listen, only the Christian story has a credible basis for the practice of human rights, equal human rights and justice for all. Some of you think it, this is so important because Facebook has just ruined this. Social media has ruined this. Politics has ruined this. Tribalism, religiosity, legalism has destroyed this. Some of you are ashamed of your Christianity and you just don't know your story. And some of you are in this room and you're not a Christian. You're an atheist. You're a secularist. You're agnostic. This is so huge right here. Some of you don't even know if you believe in God. This is such a big thing. So I want to take my time here. Only the Christian story has a credible basis, a logical basis for the practice of equal human rights and justice for all. It's for this reason Inspire Church is unapologetically about life from womb to tomb. It's for this reason Inspire Church marches alongside our black brothers and sisters to declare that their lives matter because their lives were made in the image of God, no matter where you think that slogan came from. It's for this reason that Inspired Church stands up against Asian hate and white supremacy. It's for this reason Inspired Church has raised thousands of dollars in a global pandemic to multiply our mercy ministries in Union City. This is why we love our partners with Cyril's Elementary School. We love Family Center. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 25, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And they replied, when do we do this to you? And he said, what you did to these, you did to me. Listen, though sin distorts God's image, man's dignity is not destroyed. We're not a church that denies sin. We're going to talk about the fall. But can I say this? Though sin defaces God's image, it does not erase it. This is why we love and care about every human. Regardless of ethnicity, political affiliation, gender, even if you think the gender goes beyond your binary system, regardless of sexual orientation, regardless of socioeconomic status, the image of God, though distorted by sin, is not erased. And you know, when you gave your life to Jesus, you became an agent of new creation. 
the new creation began to work in you slowly. We're moving towards all things new. And even though we live in the not yet, the church is to represent what's coming. We're prophetic. We speak to a world that's coming where Jesus is king, Christ is king. And we walk as a church already submitted to that. I want to go back to Christian apologetics because there are some agnostics and atheists and secularists and those that don't believe in God that believe in morality. You may be in this room and you don't believe in God or you know people who don't believe in God or believe in other, other different ways or just are unsure and yet they will all tell you that they believe in equal human rights. They will all tell you that they believe in justice for all. Like when you're telling this story at your workplace, most people, very rare, but they might be something like, I don't think everyone's right. Then we got to, we'll just, we'll pray some extra hands. We'll lay some extra hands. We'll do a little prayer and then some other hands. I'm kidding. So that's not representation of the kingdom. I need to get out of my flesh. But what I'm saying is there are unbelievers who practice human rights and justice and believe in justice for all. Timothy Keller, on a recent podcast, I believe it's called How to Win the West Again. He's citing men, philosophers like Charles Taylor and even the famous atheist philosopher Nietzsche. Listen, listen to this point. If your story features a transcendent God who created the universe and who made mankind in his image, and who has commanded us to love as he loves, then the idea of equal human rights for all and justice for all makes logical sense. If you believe there's a God and that he created man in his image and that he commands us to love like he loves, then you have a logical basis for why you practice human rights and justice for all. But... If your story contends that there is no God, that the universe is impersonal, and that we all just came from primordial soup, or if your story explains the origins of humanity through the process of evolution or, 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 the, or the theory of the strong eating the weak, you know, that's what nature is. It's the fittest, the strongest survive. It's the stronger eating the weaker, the majority dominating the minority that's naturalism and so if your story doesn't have a god and if your story begins in dirt and ends in dirt then your story has no logical basis for the fight for justice and human rights and i know a lot has been done in the name of religion but worse has been done in the name of non-religion irreligion when you remove the moral lawgiver you remove morality. And there's no longer a standard outside of yourself to judge what is right and wrong, but everyone does as they see as right. Which is why slavery was okay during a certain time. And which is why the Jews in the Nazi concentration camps, because it was the majority making the decision. But if there is a transcendent God, and if you were made in his image, and if he has called us and commanded us to love like he loves, then we have a logical basis to practice morality. And the folks 
who don't believe in the Christian God have to wrestle through their logic. We're going to actually go over this deeper in a couple of weeks because we got to learn to tell our story. I love what Pastor Timothy Keller says. The only way you can believe in equal rights and justice for all is if you either put your faith in the Christian story or you borrow from it. Human significance, human dignity, and finally, human purpose. Human purpose. You know, the question of purpose is, why am I here? What's, what's the ultimate goal of my life? I want to invite the team to get ready. I want to answer this question, but I just kind of want to do it. I want to kind of work around before we get to purpose. And as the team is moving in, I know it's, try not to lose the, if they, like, if you didn't get anything else, please, like, this is the one I want you to do your best to look at the game maybe in, like, 10 minutes. <laughs> the Niners don't play till five. No one else matters anyway, so. No, just kidding. Just kidding. You know what? My Raider fans, I love y'all. Let's not start this, Phil. God is faithful. You're made in the, Raider fans are made in the image of God. Amen. Dallas fans, you're made in the image of God. Like, I love you guys. Okay. Stay, stay on, stay on, stay focused, stay focused. Yeah, bring it back. Thank you, my wife. Bring it back. I want to talk about purpose. Now, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to get deeper into human purpose. I want to invite you to come back, but let me just give you an overview, okay? You know, in the ancient world, kings would build statues of themselves. And they would set images of themselves all over their kingdom to remind those that were in their kingdom, that even though the king was absent, the image is a reminder that his sovereignty and authority still reigns in that place. Are you with me? And that's the way they do it. They would erect these statues of their image. Now, what's really interesting about ancient Israel, God wanted them to be a countercultural community. He wanted them to be different, even though they wanted to do everything like all the other communities, right? Gosh, man, crazy Israelites, it's not us. We want to be like everybody else. But actually, God wanted them to be different, set apart, unique, like him. And so if you realize throughout the Old Testament text, including explicitly written in the Ten Commandments, I believe it's the second or third commandment, God says specifically, Israel, you are not to make any engraved images of me. Do not carve images or engrave images with your hands of me. Y'all know that, right? Like God says that regularly, right? Okay, I want to work on that. Even when Israel builds its temple, you'll find no statue of God. No image of God. Fascinating. Two reasons. One is the obvious reason. Because God is invisible. <laughs> and there's wonder and glory in his invisibility. And he reveals himself through his word. And, and they, aren't to, they aren't to worship or try to create. They couldn't with their own hands. Israel, even if they tried their best, would fall woefully short. If with their own hands, they tried to engrave or erect a statue or an image of God. That's the obvious reason. The second reason is... The reason why God does not want Israel to make images of him with their own hands is because he's already made image. He already made it. 
You already did it. It's you. It's humanity. He already stooped low. And with his hands, he grabbed the dirt. And with his breath, he breathed into our nostrils and and gave us life. Why are you not to make an image? Because God has already made an image in you. So what are the implications of that? Think about that. What does that mean for me? What does it mean for your purpose, your ultimate goal? It means that if you believe that there is a transcendent creator who breathed into the nostrils of man and who imprinted on every single human being his image, if you believe that story to be true, that means that your ultimate goal, your ultimate purpose in this life is to reflect him on this earth. (laughs) Your ultimate goal, your ultimate purpose in this life is to reflect him and to bring him glory as his image bears. You know, last week my wife and I took a weekend off and we try to find spaces to create rhythms in our schedule to take little vacations, little mini getaways. We love it. And we decided to venture a little bit further. And we spent some time in Santa Barbara. It's a really beautiful space. Now, I don't know what you do on your mini vacations uh, besides eat, because I know I do that a lot. Um, and, and, you know, and see the normal attractions, right? Like, hey, where are we going? We're going over here. Okay, what do they got to do? You kind of find, I don't know if you do that or not. But there's something my wife and I like to do is we like to get lost and just drive around the city. We'll go to the back roads, the front roads, the side roads, off roads. (laughs) We'll even drive in the neighborhoods, like a bunch of, you know, we don't even live there. It's kind of (laughs) creepy. Windows are open. We're looking in. No, I'm kidding. We don't do that. You know, I put a little extra cheese on this story and I had to And so we were in Santa Barbara, and if you know anything about Santa Barbara, you know that it's beautiful, right? It's really beautiful. Um, you know, and, and, and it's funny because we're driving, and there's gated communities. Like, speed up, get in there. <laughs> How do we get out? I don't know. <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, there's gated communities and mansions built on the coast. So funny, right? There's the ocean, and then there's this pool. <laughs> anyway, that's funny. That's Santa Barbara, by the way. Uh, in fact, I went in that backyard, and I didn't. Uh, but, you know, we're driving and just looking. and I've had this conversation with a few folks. I know Marcus and I, we've talked about this, too. Um, I remember leaning over and in kind of a way telling Jamila, and I'll kind of curate it for what we're, if... If there is no God, and if we weren't created in his image, and if, we, if our ultimate purpose in life was to, wasn't to reflect him, then that would be the goal. And maybe I should have put up a mansion on the coastline. Maybe I just, a house in the Bay Area. It's like, let's just start with a house, a townhouse. 
And I know this because Jamila and I are like in our little apartment, like, Lord, let's just, okay, we don't, God, we don't want that, you know, but let's just start with, you know, give me up two bedrooms, two bathrooms. That would be great, right? So, yeah, right, right. So, so I recognize that, you know, this might be over the top, but y'all get the point is, if you were not created in the image of God, if your ultimate goal wasn't to reflect him, then you know what? The goal would be to glorify yourself. If there is no God, if you are dirt to dirt, if you do everything you can in the middle, leave that up there really quickly. I'm sorry, you guys are doing great, but do everything you can in the middle. Like this is heaven. This is the goal. If there is no God, if it's dirt to dirt, then live for pleasure, accumulate earthly wealth. That's what it is. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's having a good time. Maybe it's, you know, a drowning yourself in, in temporary pleasures. Because if heaven isn't real, and if God's not there, and my purpose isn't to glorify him, then I might as well live it up. And so we work hard, and we slave, and we, and we prioritize rhythms of slavery over rhythms of life. Because this is the goal. This is the purpose because if I don't have this and I'm not valuable, if I don't have this and I'm not worthy, if I don't have this and I'm not somebody, then it's all about my ambitions and my dreams and my privileges and my rights. If there's, in, if there's no God, then every, no one here owns, everyone in here, we, we fail. That's it. That's it. But if there is a God and if he created this universe and then he stooped low and he picked up the dirt and he breathed the breath of life in your nostrils and imprinted you his image and you've been called to reflect him on the earth. If that is true, if you believe in that story, then your life, your pursuit, your ambitions, your desires and your goals are to be submitted for his glory. So if I never attain this, it's all right, this wasn't the value. This wasn't the purpose. If I never get there, it's all right, I didn't derive my sense of worth from this place. Or if I get there and it's taken from me, anyone ever lost a house? I might be speaking to a few of you in here today, you had something and it was taken away. But even if it's taken away, it's all right. It wasn't your purpose. It wasn't where you value. Your dignity didn't come from how big your house is or how many cars that you drive. And that's not where you derive. You are an image bearer, someone who owns, he owns these shores. That's his property. That could all crumble. That little shoreline could collapse. And everything someone worked for, millions could be gone. Come on, y'all feel it? Bay Area folks, we're in the rat race. Y'all feel it? We're performing, we're going after, we're pursuing. It's almost like Pharaoh just slave driving us. Work, achieve, more, bigger, better. And Jesus says, come to me. My yoke is light, my burden's easy. I want to say this. I'm not saying don't buy a house. (laughs) But do it for his glory. I'm not saying don't start a business. 
do it for his glory. Amen. I'm not saying don't invest, but do it for his glory. I'm not saying don't go to work, but go to work for his glory. If you're going to serve, serve for his glory. If you're going to volunteer for Cyril's Elementary, do it for his glory. If you're going to serve in the church, do it for his glory. It's bigger than us. But if you don't have a God, if your story, and I promise we're going to pray. Here's, we're going to sing and respond. Here's the discipleship tension. Can I share it with you? My tension, your tension, all of our tensions. As a church, we live to try to live in this. Here's the tension. Here's the challenge. There's a lot of Christians, we believe the story. Or we say the story is true. We hold that doctrine. But we live our lives like this story matters. It's been multiple pastors. I'm not sure. You know, we're functionally atheistic. (laughs) And in in a Bay Area culture where it's all about money and, and, and houses and you know we we are one we are we make the we are we make the most money like this is one of the most wealthiest regions in the world simultaneously one of the regions that gives the like the less money like we don't give I'm, I'm struggling over my tongue my tongue over here I'm tongue-tied we make we're one of the wealthiest regions in the world and yet the Bay Area region is one of the regions that gives the less So the challenge every Sunday, but it has to go beyond rhythms, it has to go beyond the challenge is pastors, leaders, members, disciples, followers of Jesus is always wrestling between these two desires. The flesh that wants to satisfy itself, but the spirit that's calling you and saying you're made for something more. You're made for something greater than yourself. That's the battle. Every day. Let's just take time to respond.